Hi friends, this is Ian Khan and you're listening to The Ian Khan Show and this is an Aftershock special episode which means I'm speaking with a co-contributor to the recent book Aftershock. I'm speaking with Byron Reese today and Byron is an Austin-based author and his uh, most recent book is The Fourth Age, Smart Robots, Conscious Computers and the Future of Humanity. Byron Reese. Byron, welcome to the Ian Khan Show. I'm so excited to have you on board. Where exactly are you right now? I am in Austin, Texas, and I am happy to be here. Amazing. Happy to be here with you. Oh, thank you. I'm, I so appreciate you making time for me. You know, we're both contributors to Aftershock, which our, our good friend John Schroeder has put together. Thanks to him for bringing together an amazing group of people like yourselves and others that I've interviewed on the show so far. Byron, I am learning. I am drinking from the hose when I'm interviewing people like yourselves, just because of the things I'm hearing and people that are sharing. So thank you for joining me. I'm happy to be here. Let's talk about connection. You know, in your article, in your work, and I've seen some of your work online as well, you talk a lot about people need to change their perception of a world driven by technology because it just has a bad rep many times when it comes to not losing jobs, but creating more jobs, engagement. And we're living in a post-COVID world today. The world has definitely changed. What are your thoughts in a COVID world and your ideas of technology in general? I, human beings are about 100 watts of power. That's what we have. You're, and if you were dropped on a desert island, you would feel the limits of that. And a long time ago, we learned a trick, and that is technology. And we use technology to multiply what we're able to to do. You can measure it any number of ways. One way is, you know, energy consumption. Now the average person in the West uses 10,000 watts of power. So you've kind of 100x yourself throughout society because of this trick we learned. And all it does, it's a very simple thing. All technology does is it increases human productivity. And that is always good for everyone. And if, if you challenge that, if you disagree with that, consider the alternative where you passed a law that said everybody has to work with one arm tied behind their back. What would happen? Well, you would create a lot of jobs because you need twice as many people to do anything, but the jobs wouldn't pay very well because productivity went down. And so it's always good to increase human productivity. That's the story of why we live so much better lives than even our great grandparents lived. Absolutely. Let's break some misconceptions here. I work with a lot of industries myself. You're out there, you're doing amazing work with what you do. You often hit a roadblock when you tell people, hey, here's five different things, five different new technologies or ways to create efficiency in your organization, whether it's an accounting firm, a manufacturing company, a doctor's clinic. And the first thing they think is, oh my God, is my job going to be done? Am I going to be done? And probably the first few thoughts that go to their head are like, I'm going to lose my income. I'm going to lose my house. I'm going to lose my kids and car and my wife's going to leave me. My kid, And all that whole barrage of negative thoughts. How can we really convince people that technology is actually good for us. I mean, the proof is yeah. all around us. How do we get through to these people? Well, I would say it this way. I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out the half-life of a job. And I think it's 50 years. Or put another way, I think every 50 years, we lose half of all the jobs. It's been going on for about 250 years. And what's interesting in this country, with the exception of today and the Great Depression, unemployment's never been over 10%. We know it's not over 10% now because of technology, nor in the Depression. So you think about all these technological changes that came along and you can't see them in a graph of unemployment. You replaced all animal power with steam in 22 years. Can't see that in unemployment. You invented a kind of artificial intelligence known as the assembly line. You can't see it. Here's the kind of conceptual thing that I think maybe helps people a little bit. 
they say to me, look, there's a range of jobs. There's, there's jobs at the top that are high paid, high skilled jobs. And there are jobs way at the bottom that are low skilled, low pay, like um, order taker at fast food. And they say, look, technology's great at creating these new jobs at the top, like a geneticist, but it destroys the jobs down at the bottom, like order taker at fast food. And then here's what people say. And I think this is what freaks everybody out. They say, do you really think that person who was the order taker at the fast food place can learn to be a geneticist? Can the people who are losing their jobs learn to code or whatever? And the answer is no, that isn't how it works ever. What happens is a college biology professor becomes a geneticist and then a high school biology teacher goes into the college job. Then a substitute teacher gets hired on full-time at the high school all the way down the line. The question isn't, can people at the bottom do the new jobs that are created? The question is, can everybody on this planet do a job a little harder than the job they have today? So anybody listening, can you do a job just a little harder than the job you have today? If so, that's 250 years of economic history in this country. For 250 years, technology creates jobs at the top, it destroys jobs at the bottom, and everybody shifts up a notch. And that's why we have 50% of the jobs lost every half century, but rising wages. And it's for that reason. There's not a person listening, I would wager, who is absolutely at their mental and physical capacity. And I have found that most people want to do more if they make a little more money. And that's what the future looks like. You use technology to multiply what you're able to do, you increase your productivity, and you're paid more for it. Absolutely. I also believe that, and I completely agree with you, I think majority of people in the world undermine their capability of creating some change. Sometimes maybe they don't connect with, uh, you know, when people come out and say, hey, I'm going to change the world. And there's all the naysayers who say, yeah, we've heard that before. They're going to fail. But you know what? There's, there's, there's a middle ground here, right? Between the super motivational people to the super demotivated people. There's people who are creating change right now by taking action, creating plans, creating strategies, executing on their tasks. And there has to be a systematic process of notching up. There's got to be a systematic process. And I think there's a disconnect there where people don't understand that process and they give up. They just they just give up on themselves, which is not right. No, I think to, to just add to that, I think the number one job skill in the future is the ability to teach yourself new things. And the good news is everybody can do it. If I went, I'm 52 years old. If I went back to high school, I went to school in the 80s, and I could, there's only one class I could have taken back then that would be useful to me today, and that was typing. And who would have guessed? And so it's like everything you know, for the most part, you didn't learn at school. You taught yourself or somebody taught you. And so your capacity to learn more and to do what you're saying, have an impact, is without question. And everybody has. That's what makes humans different than other creatures. Absolutely. Now, it's been so interesting doing this book, Aftershock, because John reached out to, I think, all of us and said, hey, write about Future Shock. This book was written 50 years ago by Alvin Hoffer. 50 years ago. It's so far back. And then you've got to brush your old copy of Future Shock and say, okay, let's see what's in, let me have a read. And there you find Alvin Toffler writes about things 50 years forward, amazing things, very accurate things in the state of the world. Like he got it right so many different times and so many different things. What were your initial thoughts when, whenever you read that book or looking at Toffler and his work? I, I felt somewhat inadequate. Uh, you know, it's, I wasn't even sure I was going to contribute because uh, it's, it's such august company. But I'll come right back and answer that very directly. But if you go back just 25 years, uh, that's when the Mosaic browser came out. The first, you know, the consumer web. 
And if you went back 25 years ago, half that time, half of 50, and you ask a very smart technical person, hey, what's this browser thing going to do to the world? They would say to jobs, they would say, look, it's going to probably get rid of all the stockbrokers, get rid of all the travel agents, get rid of all the yellow pages, all the newspapers are going to have trouble. And they would have been right about everything. But what nobody would have gotten was everything it would create. Uber, Etsy, Airbnb, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, all of that. And that's where the fear comes from, is you can always see what it's going to destroy, but none of us have the imagination to see what it's going to create. And Toffler did. And that's, to me, what's different. We all get nervous about what technology is going to take away or change that we don't like. Almost none of us can. Look, if everybody could, in 1995, see that there would be Etsy and eBay and all that. It would have been started in 1996, but they weren't, you know. It took a decade or more before these really kind of core companies even came into being because it just takes a while to kind of get with the flow of the technology and say, oh, I could sell what's in my attic with this thing or what have you. So I think that's what's so impressive about Toffler is, is he could, I mean, nobody's perfect, but he could see both sides of the equation. I can have a lot of faith that the other side of the equation is there, but I don't purport to, to see it. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, my, my kids are going to be short wranglers and, you know, all these made up words. I'm just making up because I don't know what they are, but they're going to be something. It's different, but it, it'll come out to be, but I don't know what it is. Thank you so much for that. They say that we are living in an era of exponential growth and there's old bars, charts, and data that exponential growth in the world in technology is happening, right? Moore's law has been broken. By 2025 or 2045, we'll be a neural race and we'll have implants. How much of that do you subscribe to? Like, what's your vision of where we will be realistically in the next, say, 25 years, the next 25 years? Well, I'm, I'm not a singularian. I don't believe that our computing, that once computers become you know, smarter than us, then two years later, they'll be twice as smart and then four times. And then eventually they won't even know what we are. I think that viewpoint is based on a, I used to host this podcast on AI. That's my, my shtick. And I had 120 guests and I would ask them all the same question. And 95% of them answered this question. Yes. And then I give lots of speeches and I ask audiences the same question and only 15% of audiences say yes. And the question is, are people machines? Are you a machine? And people in AI are, you know, normally say, well, what else would we be? And at some point, if we're nothing but machines, we're going to build a mechanical person. And then two years later, that will be twice as good. And, and they're entirely right. If we aren't machines, for whatever reason, scientific, spiritual, whatever you want to pick, biological, quantum, then there's no machine that'll ever do what people do. And therefore, I don't think that those kinds of nightmare scenarios are even possible. And so I, unlike my 95% of my guests, I don't believe we're machines. Or it hasn't been proven to me that we're machines. We have brains we don't understand that give rise to minds we don't understand. And we have consciousness, which means we don't, a computer can measure temperature, but you can feel warmth. And that difference is often called the last scientific question we don't even know how to pose scientifically. And so I'm unconvinced computers, and I think they need all three of that. I think they need a brain, a mind, and first-person experience. And I'm convinced, I don't have that much faith as they do that, that we're going to build that. So to me, if I believe, as I do, increased productivity is always good for people, 
all this technology is just going to increase our productivity. I mean, I wrote a book called Infinite Progress because I believe that, you know, our destiny, I look in the night sky, sure looks like there's a lot of room out there for us to expand into. Doesn't feel crowded at all. And I imagine a day, you know, where there's a billion people on a billion different planets, each with a Marie Curie and each with a Leonardo and each with a J.K. Rowling and each with a Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, all the rest. And that's the world I believe in, not oh, we're just machines, we're going to build a better version of ourselves and it's going to rule over us and I don't, I don't believe it. Thank you. Now in 2020, we've seen something unprecedented, which is COVID-19. Never saw it, never were expecting it, like everybody was going about their business. What COVID-19... Well, you say it's unprecedented, but do you really mean that? It's never, I mean, in fact, it's probably the most common thing in human history, isn't it? Famines, I mean, pandemics are more common than wars. But, but go ahead. My point was that I don't think an average person was expecting to undergo what we went in 2019. Let's say the lockdowns and people are getting sick and many people uh-huh. succumb to this uh, pandemic. So there's, there was a lot of unknowns that hit an average common person. What should we expect from a world? Should we always expect in a world that's full of technology, in a world where human relationships are not what they used to be 20, 30, 50 years ago, And also looking into the future a few years, what should our expectations be from the world that we should always expect change, we should always expect and be ready for events like this? And I want you to hear it from you as a a leader because you inspire a lot of people. How do you go about understanding what the world will bring to you? There was a time, they think genetically, based on the genetic diversity of any few humans, they think there was a time 75,000 years ago that we were down to 800 mating pairs of humans. That was it, 800 mating pairs. I mean, we were an endangered species. And somehow, we, who would have bet on us then, by the way? Who would have said, oh no, that, those, are the, those are the ones that are gonna take over. And, and our history since then has been one of continued you know, advancement. We created human rights and trial by jury and democracy and individual liberty and all of the rest. And, we also, and we did it through technology. And through technology, we learned to control our environment better. And that's really what we're trying to do even now. We're inherently a fearful species. And we come by that honestly. Someone said once that it, back in the day, it made more sense for us to see a rock, think it was a bear, oh, it's a bear, run away, and yeah. run away, than to see this bear and say, ah, it's probably just a rock, and get eaten. And so we're these kind of timid, frightened, creatures, or that's our history. And we have that. So we have a predisposition to fear. And all kinds of things play on it. A lot of, I think a lot of people want people to be afraid and, you know, profit by your fear and and all of the rest. But if you say, there used to only be 800 pairs of us and we had nothing. And look at all we did. And along the way, by the way, we created art and music and we, we learned to care for the weak among us. And I mean, we're doing pretty well. And so I would encourage people not to understand that, you know, in our heart, we're still like, it could be a bear, but to know that and to say, we every day have more mastery of our world and tomorrow we will have even more. And finally, we're fundamentally good because if we weren't, we never would have made it this far. The only way we got to here from way back then is because we learned altruism and we learned to work together. And there are all kinds of people who are bad in the world. I'm not denying that. 
But the way we got here is because more people want to build than destroy and more people want to work together than destroy. And so at, at our hearts, we're, we're good. I believe in us. Like, we've got this. Byron, thank you. I, I know we don't have a lot of time with you. I do appreciate you jumping on board for a quick podcast episode. As a final question, what advice would you give all our listeners and viewers and people out there in the world who are trying to make a good living, trying to do the right thing? What should they do in three steps, maybe one or two or three steps? What's your advice to the world? How do they go about their life? What should they expect from the future? I don't like to tell people what they should do, but I, I can say what I do. And you were talking earlier about how technology creates new jobs at the top and destroys one at the ones at the bottom and everybody shifts up a notch. I try to apply that to my life. I try to say what aspects of my life can technology create great new opportunities and great new experiences. Where am I an order taker at a fast food place? Like I do a ton of things like that in my day-to-day -day life. Where can I use technology to destroy those jobs, those parts of my life? How can I use it to destroy so I don't have to do them? And that's just like philosophically how I look at my day. I want to use technology to either automate mundane things so I don't have to do them or create new opportunities for me. Technology really is this thing. It's, it's not magic, but it behaves like magic. It multiplies what you're able to do. It makes you, you know, more than you were before. It, it comes with its pitfalls, but uh, it's very powerful when, when applied correctly. Incredible. Byron, hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, folks. Aftershock is one of the books where Byron has contributed. Byron, tell us where people can find you, get a copy of your book, learn more about your incredible work. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm the easiest person in the world to find. I'm Byron Reese on everything. I'm Byron Reese on Twitter, ByronReese.com. Just type that in your search engine of choice and you will have many options. All righty. Well, Byron, thank you for sharing your time with us. We really appreciate it and uh, hope to see you very soon in the future and keep inspiring people. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey friend, this is Ian Khan. If you liked what you saw on my video, then please subscribe to my YouTube channel and be inspired every single day with innovative content that keeps you fresh, updated, and ready for the future. For more information, also visit my website at iankhan.com. 